Welcome to The Leading Edge, Developing Officers for Command. I'm Senior Master Sergeant Eugene Christ from your 130th Public Affairs. This is the fifth episode of the 12-part series that will be released once a quarter. Now let's get to the content. Hey, good morning, folks. Thanks for coming today. Really excited to kind of kick off uh, session number five. I uh, had some feedback after our last session. They're like, sir, we really appreciate the, the, this training. It's been really good, but I'm lost as to where we are in the overall scheme of things, right? You know, how many have we done so far? How many do we have coming up? So if you wouldn't mind, Ryan, sure. just kind of like to review kind of where we're at. This is session number five, focusing on empowerment. Overall, there's 12 blocks in the program. It is spread out over three years. Again, this is a deliberate thing where we try to give you these topics in small chunks rather than getting you all together for like a, a week-long period and making a drink from a fire hose and then turn around and promptly forget it two months later, right? So the intent is to deliver you this content kind of piece by piece, a little bit over time, give you time to digest it, maybe opportunities to apply some of the things that you've learned, and hopefully it builds upon itself and leads to a more lasting uh, impact on you. That's my goal. So there's a little bit of experimentation with this, but nevertheless, we're at session five here. Obviously, we haven't met since June. We had a little bit of a... Of a kind of time off when it came to doing these. Again, that was by design with our readiness exercise validation there at Gulfport in September. Uh, we needed to focus on that. Thus, I had a little bit of a break in the schedule, but we get back after it now with this session, which be led for us by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Hara. Ryan is a graduated commander, former commander of the Security Forces Squadron here. He did an excellent job, not just in that role, but as the wing executive officer, he's earned the nickname of Air Force Jesus by the level of work that he did. Uh, we give him a hard time about that, but if you literally go upstairs in Major Sherrod's office and walk in her door and turn around and look above her doorway, you'll see a picture of Lieutenant Colonel Hera <laughs> as uh, uh, she uses him as her inspiration of uh, the heights that she intends to reach now as our current wing executive officer. He is currently serves as our MXG deputy, but he was previously our mission support group deputy as well. He has a wealth of experience in command and leadership. He's uh, also served for a period of time in state headquarters, has a lot of deployed experience doing some pretty unique things there in the deployed environment, especially when it comes to VIP protection details. And uh, I think you'll learn a lot from him. So thank you, Ryan, for taking on this particular task for us today. So empowering others. Why is this important? As commanders, there is an expectation that commanders will make decisions. And that is true. Decision-making is an important skill for a commander to have. Equally important is knowing when you need to make a decision and when you don't. 
There can be a trap as a commander when it comes to decisions that are brought to you of making all of them. It's very easy to do. Your folks will bring you things and they'll bring you things day in and day out and you will be confronted with, almost tempted to essentially easily deliver an answer. Because based upon your experience, based upon the knowledge that you have, the things that you've done throughout your career, it's easy for you to just say, this is what we need to do. And they will be perfectly happy with that. They will go on, they'll carry out the decision that you've made, and, and life will continue. But I'm here to tell you, it's a bit of a trap. In order to foster growth in others, you have to empower them to make decisions. You have to empower them to fail at times. You have to be willing to run the risk of them failing in order for them to learn a lesson that will be much more impactful than you just telling them how to do something. As a leader, you have to know when it might be best to empower them to make those, that decision versus making it yourself. There's a very fine line that's there. Now I'll give you a little bit of a story, a little bit of an illustration. Um, when I became the state's J6, my predecessor, who did an excellent job, and he was really one of my mentors, in telling me about his staff, he told me about one individual who said, she's very technically proficient, strong worker, gets well, along well with people, but she needs a lot of direction. What do you, sir, what do you mean by that? Well, she will come to you every week, she'll ask for a meeting, she'll bring you a lot of things, and you'll have to give her a lot of direction. Hmm. Okay, interesting. As I got into the job, sure enough, she came to me, met with her on a weekly basis. She would bring me things like, sir, I have this problem, what do you think? Or, sir, we have this issue over here, I have this concern over here with this section, I need your help. It was interesting as this played out over time because, number one, I learned she was very technically proficient. She was good at building relationships. She you know, really had a lot to bring to the table. So I really tried to kind of flip the script as I met with her. And I began to say things like, well, what do you think? What's your opinion? How would you handle this? And then as she would tell me what her ideas were, tell me what approach she wanted to take, I'd say, okay. I agree, go do. And then later, as she continued to do this, I began to say, you know what? I trust you. I believe in you. I know that you have the confidence and ability to make this decision. I'm not going to do it. You handle it. And what I learned over time was, number one, this individual went from managing small projects or went from you know, handling customer service uh, issues with, with individual sections, doing really good work, but relatively low level work, 
to really stepping up her game where she was managing multi-million dollar projects with very little direction. And she was doing an excellent job with it. Thus, again, as she would come to me in meetings, she flipped the script where she would say, sir, I had this problem. Here's what I did about it. Taking care of. It was amazing. And the other thing that was basically an end result, she didn't have to meet with me every week anymore. <laughs> the meetings became less frequent, but they became much more impactful and informative as I was able to give her, in addition to the rest of the staff, uh, more direction and general guidance, and they were able to encapsulate that into the things that they were doing so they knew what direction the section wanted to go in in order to support things like the TAGS organizational goals and objectives. They didn't need to come to me and ask, what should I do? What should I do? Some of you folks will probably know who I'm talking about. But she's exceptional, still works in the organization today. So empowerment can be a real game changer not just for individuals, but for an organization as a whole. It can help you as a leader in order to keep you out of the weeds and allow you to focus on the more big picture things, things like your organizational climate, the strategic goals and objectives for uh, your unit, etc., rather than the day-to-day, -day more mundane things. Because I'm here to tell you, we have exceptional NCOs, senior NCOs, and young officers in this wing, exceptional. So I ask you to not fall into that trap uh, as you rise and eventually have an opportunity to command or lead an organization, okay? So with that little story, I'd like to turn things over to Lieutenant Colonel Hera, who will talk a little bit more about developing followers into leaders, right? Thank you, sir. Yep. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Colonel, it's funny, we actually did not pre-coordinate this, but he could not have teed this up any better for me. Everything he just said, we're going to dive a little bit more into. I'll give you some good examples. Uh, we'll go from there. want to commend Colonel for the, the effort and what we're doing with this, this whole initiative. When I was at your point, especially, uh, you know, when I was a new lieutenant, I mean, Colonel will tell you, force development was barely even whispered. And if it was spoken of, there were no actual formal attempts to, uh, to provide training, to provide things like this. We've come a long way. So you all are getting this at this point in your career. It will give you a huge leg up. Now, the unfortunate side of that is it's also going to make it much more competitive for you. <laughs> so, but that's a good problem to have, right? All right. So been talking a little bit about empowerment. We'll dive into that here in a second. I do want to back up. I've been listening to the podcasts come out of this. Uh, I've been listening to all the previous ones. The last one with Colonel Kincaid was great. A lot of great points. I, if I could, I just want to add a couple of things, a couple of recommendations for you all, especially with the, the joint piece. There are a couple of intermediate courses out there at Maxwell. So one of them is the JTF staff basic course. Highly recommend if you ever get a chance to go to that. 
anyone can put in for it. Typically it's unit funded, but if you catch them right, sometimes they will actually do school funded for it. Uh, but it will teach you the basics of working in that joint environment, the joint planning process. It gives you really kind of a basic breakdown of, of what the different the functions are. You know, what's the three, what's you know, current ops versus foo ops. So highly recommend that one. The other one, and Captain or Major Dyer is gonna appreciate me telling you this one, Quipic. Uh, it's called the Contingency Wartime Planning Course, and it's also considered an inter intermediate level course. Highly recommend that one if you ever get a chance. And these are ones you can use your AT and sign up and go, as long as you have your boss's permission. All right, so a couple of ground rules when we get into this. So one, love interaction. If you all have stories, all of you have different experiences already with empowerment. Would love to hear them, so please you know, raise your hand, chime in, add to the class. And then the second, we're gonna throw some challenges up here. So does everybody have cell phones with them? All right, All right. so I actually like that, that you have the, your phone in here. This isn't one of those where you gotta put it out in the hallway. At different intervals here, I'm gonna put up a challenge on there. I would love for you to either take a note about it, take a screenshot of it, or if not, it, at the end, I can make this available to you as well. But take those challenges, back with you kind of make like a little checklist for yourself try to work through all of them at some point and if at certain intervals in your career bring it back out of the drawer and and try working through them again i think you'll find it beneficial the thing to about empowering others is it takes deliberate action to do this i mean the colonel was talking about you know he had to do deliberate things and working with that person to empower them so you've got to make a conscious effort to do it all right, and then lastly, I've got a promise for you. Everyone in this room will learn something new today or I will buy lunch for every single one of you. And last count I had, I had 26 people in here, including the Colonel, and I'll buy his lunch too. So at the end, I'm gonna ask you that question if, if there's something you did not learn today, but I promise you, you will learn something. All right, so I'm gonna start out. Um, I wanna talk just a little bit about my experiences with empowerment at different levels. And I do this not, not to show you really with my background, but I wanna talk about like the different experiences I had and kind of how that helped shape me. And these are all things that I carry forward with me. All right, so prior enlisted security forces, I did different things there, started fire team leader, moved up squad leader, got into stand eval, worked in the Raven program, did a, a Kuwait deployment. That deployment was probably one of the pivotal moments for me of when, why I decided I wanted to become an officer. You know, I'd had a lot of good experiences through security forces. That deployment, although it was a good experience overall, I had some bad experiences there that taught me, and it was, it was like that moment of, okay, if I'm gonna stay in, I will not put myself back in a situation like this where I can't help others or I can't make things better, right? So that was a pivotal moment. When I got commissioned, went into force support, you see there, I had other uh, little experience thrown in. I got to work in the jock for a little while, which was great. You know, Colonel Kincaid talked about that. If you ever get the opportunity to work down that environment, highly recommend it. Got to go out and work as an LNO. I worked as an LNO trainer as well. Great experience there. First time I ever got thrown in the field as an LNO. I was the only Air Force guy that got thrown in with the Army, actually in McDowell County. And the tag now at the time was the battalion commander there and he was running that operation. It was just kind of funny, but great experience. Highly recommend, you know, put yourself out there, make, make it known that you want to go do those things. All right, so 
later I got the opportunity to go back to security forces on the officer side. And when I did, I was fortunate enough to, to go into command there. As the commander there, it was a difficult position for me. Major Gardner you know, will back me up on this. At the time, the person that I was reporting to is the deputy, or that was the deputy in, in uh, MSG, he was the previous commander. He had a very difficult time letting go of things, so it did not empower me in a, in a lot of ways. Now, there were certain things eventually I had to realize maybe some of that was on me to do, right? Maybe I had to empower myself and I had to start learning things. So a lot of this, you know, sometimes you can learn things through, you know, classes like this, through different presentations, but a lot of it you may just learn through the school of hard knocks and trial and error. And that's really kind of what I did there. I learned a lot out of that. I learned a lot of what not to do out of that as far as being a leader in looking at the way he was not empowering me to do what I needed to do. So anyway, deployment. While I was there, I had the opportunity to do a voluntary deployment to Afghanistan. This was an incredible experience for me. I was the only guard guy that ended up in an entirely active duty unit. And I did not even say that I was guard when I got there. And it was funny, a lot of people had no idea I was guard until the very end when I was leaving. And they were like, wait a minute, you've only been here six months, why are you leaving? They're all on one year tours. And uh, they were all like, oh, wow, all right. NATCA was the NATO Air Training Command for Afghanistan. And our job was to help build the Afghan Air Force and to work as advisors. That experience probably empowered me. I don't know that it was an intentional action on anybody's part to empower me in those roles, but it was just the nature of the beast. Unbelievable opportunity. When I first got there, I went there to be kind of the AT advisor, the force protection advisor for this wing that had six deaths around the country. And I walk in the first day and the chief of staff was like, uh, all right, I see you have the, the SF patch on. He was like, any reason you shouldn't be doing convoys? I'm like, well, no, I mean, trained to do convoys. Okay, great, you're doing convoys, but you're actually running the convoy program. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, why not? And then he, the next question was, any reason you can't go fly and do stuff in your off time? I'm like, well, no, don't see why not. So anyway, ended up doing Guardian Angel Overwatch flights. So in the evenings and at nighttime when I was off work, I would go fly on the Afghan helicopters, Afghan planes. Great experience. But all of that, all of those experiences I had there, I mean, almost no one was ever giving me instruction of what to do, ever. I mean, I got intent probably that first day, and I'm not sure I really got any other intent or instruction after that. So it was great. I just kind of ran with it, did my thing made some mistakes, but I also learned a whole lot through the process. All right, wing executive officer, <laughs> the colonel uh, telling you about this and the joke, thanks to uh, Dustin Redmond on the, the Air Force Jesus comment. Yeah, don't ever let Redmond find a, a way to push a button. So it, as the executive officer, I, I don't entirely give myself all the credit there. It, a lot of it, you know, when you get into some positions, some of it's just the situation at the time, right? So. When I was the executive officer, we had a full-time wing commander. We did not have a full-time <clears throat> vice. We did not have a full-time command chief. It was literally the wing commander, myself, and the admin assistant, and we were the only three in the office. So there were a lot of things at the time that I just had to step up and do and that I was empowered to do by Colonel Ryan. 
but they weren't necessarily, they wouldn't have been my job or my responsibility otherwise. Now, was that a great opportunity for me? Oh, absolutely. Great opportunity. I mean, I was getting to do things, act more or less as the chief of staff for the wing staff. It, it, it was phenomenal opportunity for me. Now, the downside to that, and I'll talk about it here a little bit further, I made some mistakes in that, and, and I didn't even see some of it until I left the role, but I'll talk about those here in a bit. After I left there, I went back as a DSG. One of those weird guys that was DSG, full-time back DSG. Can't make my mind up, right? So I was the A57 deputy director for state headquarters. While I was there, stepped outside the comfort zone. Somebody asked me if I was willing to go do an MPA tour and stepped out of that comfort zone and jumped on it. Went and worked at Numbered Air Force and the headquarters staff at Ninth Air Force. Great opportunity there. On that one, great round of empowerment. I was basically said, or handed you know, a, a program, handed a class and just said, here's the intent of what we need to do, run with it. Great opportunity, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it. After that, the director retired. I stepped into the director role for A57, did that for a little bit longer. I, I joked that I got paroled from headquarters, came back to the wing, come back a little bit closer to the operational mission. Went as the deputy commander for MSG, and while I was there, I actually went out back out on another MPA tour and worked for another number of Air Force headquarters staff at 15th Air Force. This one, completely different from the first round. You know, when I did the 9th Air Force one, a lot of empowerment. I went to 15th Air Force, complete different, was not empowered to do it, was micromanaged at every level. So, you know, again, you learn from the good and the bad there. All right, and then currently working as deputy commander for maintenance and working as a unit conversion officer. The unit conversion officer piece, a lot of empowerment there. Uh, Colonel Chard, Colonel Priest gave me the intent, gave me the commander's priorities. You know, worked with Colonel Shy. He was the primary, I was the alternate, and we just ran with it. We knew what we had to do. We figured it out as we went, but we were given that freedom to do so. All right, so empowering others, another term for it is intent-based leadership. Again, you, know, you keep hearing that word intent. All right, so I'm gonna read this piece. Workplace where everyone engages and contributes their full intellectual capacity. A place where people are healthier and happier because they have more control over their work. And then the last line here is the key, a place where everyone is a leader. And I'll talk more about that, but, but really what it comes down to is not just being a leader, but everyone thinking for themselves. Everyone's fully intellectually engaged in the organization and what's going on. See a quote there at the bottom? If you want your people to think, don't give instructions, give intent. And you'll see the, the person that gave that is L. David Marquette. Has anyone heard of him? Oh, awesome. You don't care, I, I can't use you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Okay, so L. David Marquette uh, wrote a book called Turn the Ship Around. If you've never read this, highly recommend it. It's also out on audiobook, great way to to get it in. He also has some other great resources out there. You'll see he's got these things on YouTube called Leadership Nudges. They're, they're pretty entertaining. The last one there, the YouTube link, and again, I can make all this uh, available to you later, but the YouTube link really, kinda, it's like a nine minute video and it breaks down kind of the premise behind Turn the Ship Around. So that's a good one. And then you can see there, he's done a TED Talk for the Air Force. But he actually got out of the Navy, and I'll talk a little bit more about what he did, 
But when he got out of the Navy, he actually works with civilian companies in the private sector now to, to basically use the same thing. Because what we're talking about today carries across all organizations, military, civilian, it does not matter. So if you're a DSG, this will carry over into anything you do. All right, so USS Santa Fe, has anybody heard of the sub? All right, so Captain Marquette kind of framed this so you have an idea what he walked into. He was one of, they, the Navy considered him one of their best submariner officers, uh, submarine officers, however you want to say it. He had, was a Naval Academy grad, always had high marks on everything. He had spent over a year training for his first command to be the captain of a sub. I mean, he trained and, and studied the sub. He knew all the systems of it. He knew everything about it. I mean, down to a T, anything about the sub, he knew. So right before he's going to take command of this sub and step foot on the ship, he and his wife go on a cruise. He gets a phone call on the cruise. And the phone call is, hey, you're not going to the San, or you're not going to the ship you were planning to. You're going to the Santa Fe. And he's like, wait, hold on, wait a minute. The Santa Fe is an entirely different class of submarine. It's an entirely different crew. I mean, it, it was like you spent all your career planning for something, and all of a sudden you're here, and you got to figure it out really quick. He had six months to get this sub fully mission capable and underway to meet their mission timeline. So I wanna bring up, let me flip here a second. They had, it's pretty impressive what they were able to do. Hold on, yep, lost my notes here. I think one element too, hopefully you hit this part. The Santa Fe was considered the worst ship in the Navy. Yes, sir. Just getting ready to hit that. So, so they were. They were literally the, the worst ship in the Navy. And he knew that going in. So, I mean, could you imagine that stress getting added to your plate? Not only do I have to get this thing ready to go in six months underway, but I've got to bring it from the worst to getting underway to meet a mission. All right. So he and the crew, he made this switch. And, and in his mind, it was like, okay, I don't know the systems. So I'm not gonna focus on that. And it forced him to probably, and, and he said later, it forced him to make a mindset change himself, which then obviously drove the mindset change for the entire sub was, I'm not gonna focus on the systems, I'm gonna focus on what I can help, and that's empowering others to, to do uh, better with it. This sub, and, and what they did, they went from the worst to the number one in Navy retention and ratings, and they had a highly disproportionate number of officers that were later promoted to leadership positions. Out of this sub, they had 10 subsequent uh, nuclear submarine captains, and they had six major commanders, which the Navy considers a major commander someone above the captain of a ship level. So, that, I mean, that's pretty impressive. So it obviously shows you, you know, the groundwork he laid, you know, what were the results later, and that, that's what we're really gonna get into here shortly. So how did they do it? Emphasis on they. All right, so I'm gonna give you a basic assumption they operated under. Excellence is achieved when everyone is thinking. That's just the basic assumption. So everyone should go out of here thinking that. And again, it applies to all organizations. All right, we're gonna talk uh, about empowerment mechanisms. And I'm gonna ask PA folks, if you can help me when we hit the uh, one hour mark, if you can just give me a heads up, try to keep me on track. All right, so think anew about leadership. 
So we'll start out here with the mechanisms for starting over. So think of a movie, a series, a book in which a strong leader stood out to you. Everybody know this one? U571, pretty strong leadership shown in that, right? All right, now think of a real life strong leader who stood out to you. Anybody know this guy? Call it out. There you go. All right, and then lastly, think of a not so great leader. Everybody have one in mind? I don't want to give you this one before you have your own in mind. <laughs> All right, so obviously frustrations and bad leaders uh, you've experienced will be invaluable to you as a leader. I mean, I've probably taken some of those experiences with me and, and remembered more about them and, and it's helped shape things for me far beyond when it happened. So an example, yeah, I want to talk about a lot of times with bad leaders, it's, it's literally just the language. It's the way you interact with people, the way you speak to people. It may not even be intentional, but it's the way it comes across. We'll give you an example. When I was young airman, security forces, back from tech school, I mean, I was all fired up, pumped up, like, yeah, yeah I'm a security forces defender. I'm, I'm excited. I come in. I'm working on orders, basically doing OJT. And I won't use names, but I bet you anything, Major Gardner is going to smile because he's going to figure this out pretty quick. So I come in, and the, the flight chief, uh, we're on shift, and, and it's like my first shift. And he says, all right, I want you to go pick up my food. Like, what? Like, yeah, this isn't something like we're taught in tech school. This is, you know, like actually contrary to things we're taught. He's like, yeah, I want you to go down. Uh, at the time, Rallies was down uh, near the Capitol. He was like, go down to Rallies, pick up food for me. I'm like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to be doing this, but all right, you tell me to do it, I'm gonna do it. All right, good troop, salute and smile. And I drive down there, get his food, I come back. He goes off on me. I mean, just starts berating me, belittling me yelling at me and I'm like in front of others and I'm like what on earth like I just got your food well, you didn't bring any ketchup packets back like you've got to be kidding me really I, I mean you you talk about an experience that I mean it obviously has stuck with me to this day you take a troop that comes back he's highly motivated and that's what you're gonna do I mean is that how you empower people not at all. I mean, that, that sucked the life out of me. I mean, it, it made me immediately start questioning, like, holy crap, did I do the right thing coming in here? It really did. So fast forward, little tidbit. I actually later became his commander, helped him retire. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Sometimes karma works out. Wow. That's pretty good strategy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that that was the intent but or for me. But um, so anyway, all right. So I'll give you the first challenge here. And again, if you want to take a screenshot of it, at the end of the day, and it doesn't have to be today, any day, mentally review your conversations and meeting and look back through your sent emails. How many times did you tell someone what to do directly or indirectly? And a lot of this, you've got to really look internal as we talk about all this because you have to be deliberate about this stuff. So this is a good example. Okay, so let's talk about think long-term even beyond your tenure at the organization. Marquette, you know, if you look at what he did with the sub, right, those people didn't become commanders while he was there. Those people didn't become, you know, higher roles outside of uh, ship captains while he was there. He laid the groundwork for it, right? And that's where his leadership shone. So 
the point here is investments in people are long-term investments. Only those with long-term perspective will see the value. So if you don't have that long-term perspective, you're never going to get this. But you've got to be deliberate about it. Um, many of the, the actions I did you know, as security forces commander, you know, hopefully, people like Major Gardner you know, and the lieutenant, hopefully you all are still seeing some of those benefits. I had a conversation with Chief uh, Miller not long ago, and there were things that I kind of did like, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to do this now. Like, I'm hoping it works out this way. I don't know. And he and I had a good conversation. He happened to be in the area one time. We had lunch, and, and he was talking about, he was like, you know, some of that stuff actually kind of did work out really well later on. But again, I, I didn't reap the benefits of that. Uh, but hopefully, you know, others do. So, Do we reward officers and senior NCOs for what happens after they depart? And some of this is just rhetorical questions, but think about these as I ask these. I can, I can tell from some of the expressions, no, we don't always do that. Are they rewarded for the success of their people? We typically look at people right in snapshot in time, right, where they're at, if they just came out of a role. So let's, let's talk about that one. Ever known someone in a leadership position who you knew wanted to be missed after they left? I think we could all think of people like that. I can see all the grins and the sparks. Like, yeah, I can think of those. So why do you think it happens and what effect do you think it has on the work environment they help create? Somebody answer that one for me. What does it create? Yeah. So let me ask this next question and I'll give you an example. Have you ever seen an organization do worse immediately after the departure of a leader? What does this say about the person's leadership and how does the organization view it? So when I came out of the wing exec role, this is one of those things when I looked back, I realized I made mistakes. I made a pretty large mistake. Now, some of it was in my control, some of it was not in my control. But what I realized was I was doing way too much. And when I, when I left, you know, I, I would see certain things, that, you know, the people that came in after would start divvying different things out. And I could see things were starting to get better, improve. They spread the, the work around a little bit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I got that wrong. And some of it is just that inherent nature of us, right? It was like, I want to jump in. I want to do a great job want to do everything. And then part of it is not in your control. I mean, part of it was not in my control. You know, I told you the, the scenario we had, we didn't have a full-time vice. We didn't have a full-time command chief. So there were a lot of things that I was doing that I just had no choice. I mean, there was no one else to do it. And at the time we had a wing commander and, and not good, bad, or indifferent, but his style was he wanted to be out. He wanted to be out among the people. He wanted to be out doing stuff, not necessarily in the office doing the administrative, the day-to-day -day operations. So... Anyway, just a th something to think about there. All right, care, but don't care. What do I mean by that? You have got to care about your people if you are you know, the commander of a unit and put them first always. Now that's difficult because here we are, we're in a room, right? We're talking you know, force development type stuff, how to develop ourselves. I wanna do better, I wanna move up the chain. So naturally, you're gonna worry about bureaucratic consequences, right? But you shouldn't. You should care, but don't care about what's gonna to happen to you or the bureaucratic consequences of something. Some things you may have to be bold, take a risk, it may or may not work out. I'm gonna give you an example here. 
World War II. Is anybody familiar with this? All right, so World War II, off the coast of Taipan, in July of 1944, there were six ships that were basically supporting this ground invasion of, of or excuse me, of Tinian. You see the, the ship kind of on the bottom there on the kind of the southwest corner. That was the USS Norman Scott. It was a destroyer. The other ship there is the USS Cleveland. And the, the captain of the Cleveland, this gentleman, his name at the time, well, Captain Shepard, he, you talk about, now this is obviously an extreme example of this, right? But I think it helps illustrate the fact that you just don't worry about it. You don't care about the consequences. You put the people first. In a matter of seconds, Japanese shore batteries opened up on the USS Norman Scott on that destroyer. They landed six direct hits in seconds. It literally killed, I think, 23 sailors, including the captain of the ship, and injured 57 more which on a destroyer, that is a significant chunk of your crew. And obviously it disabled the ship. The ship could not move. As soon as that happened, all six ships that were there at the time were given a direct order by the Admiral to immediately depart the area and get out of there because they realized like this is gonna turn out poorly, right? So this gentleman said, no, like I'm not leaving a ship you know, just to, to get sunk. I mean, there are still U.S. Navy sailors on there, right? So he disobeys the direct order. He puts the USS Cleveland in between the shore and the USS Norman Scott, and he unleashes hell on the Japanese batteries. Pretty cool, right? So let me ask you this. Say that didn't turn out well. What do you think would have been the consequences for him? Right? But did he worry about that? Nah, put the people first. And he empowered his people to do what they need to do. He was known for empowering his ship as well and letting the crew basically run it. They knew what to do. He just gave the intent, the order, we're gonna protect these guys. They made it happen and I mean, within seconds, they were there and, and unleashing hell on that shore. He later, I'm trying to think. So later on, he actually became a rear admiral. He got the Navy Cross and he was also awarded a silver star. So it's hard for a bureaucracy to punish him, right? For, <laughs> for doing a good thing. But again, what would have happened had it not happened that way? All right, so be curious. Ask questions as a leader, not because you don't trust, not because they likely know something better than you do, and also because you aren't providing a solution, but getting them to use their knowledge and experience to answer a question. If you ever find yourself thinking you are the smartest person in the room, you're probably not, right? Now, you could have the most education, you could have the highest IQ in the room, and you may know that, but what you probably don't know is you probably are not the expert in whatever that subject is being talked about that day, right? We've all been there. Like, all right, yeah, like I think I know. Um, I had, you know, cases, examples as security forces commander where I would sit in a meeting and in my mind, I'm like, all right, I've got the more full picture here, what's going on. I'm pretty confident I have the solution. And there were times I probably threw the solution out and I shouldn't have, we'll talk about that. Um, but there were times when I quickly realized too, oh wait, glad you kept your mouth shut because you didn't have the best information. You were not the most knowledgeable on that subject. My dad years ago, 
said there's a difference between learned and educated, right? And first I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? So you've got people that can be educated, right? But always, and he said always, go with the learned person because the learned person has the experience and knows what they're talking about with that, right? So learned versus educated. All right. So to what degree does technical confidence form the basis for leadership? Now I'll ask this question. You guys, you guys, somebody answer me. Is it necessary for command that you're a technical expert? Doesn't hurt. So the wing leadership and the state leadership has seen confidence in me enough that they are honoring me with the command of MXG here shortly. Captain Mann, would you send me at, would I be your first choice to send out to turn a wrench on a plane? Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually pretty impressed you answered that. I was like, thank you. I, actually, I signed his OPB, so I was curious to see how he'd answer that. But yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't be the first person I'd send out to fix a plane. Trust me, if you see me out turning wrenches one day, you guys better run because we got big issues. Yeah. Big issues. So is it required? No, I don't think it is. I think it helps. I think, but, you know, that burden is on me, right? You know, Leadership, they saw, they had the confidence in me to go into that position. Now the burden is on me to figure out what I'm doing as quickly as possible and to make, at least have a good understanding of things. But again, if I'm doing things right, I'm empowering the organization. I'm empowering people like Captain Mann. He should not be coming to me with questions and bringing problems to me, right? So, all right. So let's talk one more challenge here. All right. So. Pick a day and pretend in your mind there has been some technological change that has made everything you know about your job irrelevant. Now you know nothing. And think about that when you walk into the office that day. I'm going in with the mindset, I know nothing now. See how that impacts the way you talk to people. Now some people may look at you like you're kind of crazy, so you may want to give like a chief or somebody a heads up of what you're doing to say, hey, I'm trying something new here. But I would challenge everybody to do this. It may change your perspective a little bit. Yeah, you take somebody like Captain Mann, maintenance officer. Obviously, he knows maintenance well. You know LRS well. Major Gardner knows security forces well. Try this one day. All right, do something different. Do you know where the pain and frustration is the greatest in your organization? Something to think about. What frustrations do the bosses have with the subordinates? and then vice versa. Where are you getting information from? Are you getting it firsthand? Some good examples here. Security forces, commander, I was required by AFI to go and do post checks and post visits, right? You guys know this well. I would intentionally find times like a holiday, an evening, and, and I would even do it when like I knew the, the actual flight chief who's assigned for that flight was off that night. Because I want to go get things firsthand. I want to talk to people. I mean, one, you're doing what you're supposed to do by the AFI, but there's a lot of value in that, isn't there? A civilian example, I used to own a coffee shop. I had a manager who ran it day to day, and, but I would do visits regularly just to keep a pulse on things, make sure everything was okay. But I would a lot of time intentionally go when he was not there 
because if he was there, I felt like I was somebody coming in getting a tour. I'm like, no, that's not what I want. I just want to go talk to people. I want to see things. I want to see how it is. I want to catch them, not say off guard, but I, you know what I mean? There's a lot of value in that. Sam Walton, found, founder of Walmart, right? Sam Walton was notorious for going, showing up at three, four o'clock in the morning with uh, you know, a, a handful of coffee and he would just talk to guys at the loading dock. He said he found out more about how his company was running doing that than he ever did in a boardroom or talking to any of the staff with the company. A lot of value. Example here, who's this guy? Old blood and guts, right? There's a, a great story that I love from Patton in World War II. He was in a, in a meeting one day, right? They're sitting around a big conference table. He's at the end of it. And they're talking about trying to get a line of tanks across a river. And he's saying, here's the intent, get the tanks across the river, here, like somewhere, like just, we gotta get them across. And they're like, sir, you, like it's not possible. I mean, everybody in this room, everybody in the, on this, at the table, all the staff are like, sir, it can't be done. We cannot get the tanks across. River's too high. And, and, and just, they were adamant about it. So finally, like he lets it go, right? He lets the conversation keep going and he stands up. His pants are wet to like right here above his knees. And he's like, well, I can tell you it can be done because I just walked across the damn river. And he said, at that point, like everybody just dead quiet. And he's like, at that point, he's like, future, follow intent, get it done. So anyway, good story there. All right, so managing people, managing change. People are naturally resistant to change, right? None of us like change. I mean, I can tell you people in this wing, if, if you sit in the wrong seat in a meeting, like you just crush their whole day. They're, everything's off, right? <laughs> Y'all are laughing because you got the same things, same experiences. All right, challenge. Next time you get an email from a subordinate reporting a problem without a solution, go talk to them. See if you can get them to come up with a solution, right? All right, so creating leaders, not followers. When Captain Marquette, when he was first doing his rounds on the Santa Fe, you know, he would he'd take the chance to just kind of get the feel for things, right? See how things were going. You know, he said right out of the gates, obviously he didn't know the ship, he didn't know the crew, he didn't really know the issues, so he was just trying to get a feel for things. And he said one day he stopped and he's talking to this petty officer. And he said, you know, petty officer, like, what's your job? What do you do? Well, sir, my job's do whatever I'm told to do. And he's like, holy crap, we have got a problem. We really have a problem. And he said that stuck with him the entire time he was there, just that one statement. But I guarantee you, if you all think about it, you've got people in your units that would probably tell you the same thing. I mean, am I right or wrong or, yeah, I mean, it just is what it is. All right, so habits that reinforce the do as you're told approach. These things will probably sound familiar to you. Checking with the boss to get permission to go home. A lot of people still do that, right? Weekly meetings where bosses review with subordinates what they owe them. I know you all have seen that because I've seen it a whole lot myself. Conversations where subordinates say, in effect, tell me what to do. Conversations where subordinates reported problems without solutions. The implication being that the boss should then direct a solution. And Colonel's point, they will. If you bring the problem to them, you're gonna get a solution. Forms that require subordinates to get permission from bosses in order to act. 
you know, we, we live in, and operate within a, a large bureaucracy, but do we not sometimes make that bureaucracy worse, right? I mean, you have AFIs, you have guidance, but sometimes we like to create a lot of other levels of, you know, I don't know, ways to tie your hands, I guess I would say, but that all destroys empowerment. So a challenge, next time an employee comes to you with, tell me what to do, ask them what they see or think. And Colonel kind of touched on a little bit of this. Maybe ask, if you were me, what would you be worried about? Can you describe the decision we need to make here? Can you describe the pros and cons of each decision? If I weren't here, what would you do? Right, it's all empowerment, but it's again, it's all thinking. Everyone should be actively thinking. All right, so achieve excellence, don't just avoid errors. We see this a lot too. Reducing errors is a byproduct, excuse me, of achieving excellence, right? Shouldn't be the other way around. What do you see in terms of ways your people are trying to avoid making mistakes rather than trying to achieve excellence? Do you spend more time critiquing errors than celebrating success? Something to think about. I mean, I've been there. I've, I've kind of been that guy at some point. I'm like, are we getting this stuff done? Are you doing what you need to do? And yeah, you're, you're, you're missing the whole point. How do people in your organization describe their jobs? And go ask somebody this and see if, see if you can answer this next question from that conversation. To what degree do they frame it as achieving greatness or avoiding mistakes? Just ask somebody, I'll, I'll kind of throw that little extra challenge in. All right, the next time a team member comes to you with an inspirational story, document it in some easy way and share it with your team. Encourage others to share their stories as well. Since I've been in maintenance, I am blown away all the time of the ingenuity of people have up there, the resourcefulness they have. I mean, the, the stuff they come up with, solutions to problems. I, I've learned really quickly up there, just keep your mouth shut, sit back and just watch the conversation because I mean, they work solutions. It, it, it's mind blowing the stuff they come up with. All right, so mechanisms for control. Switching over a little bit here. Give control, don't take control. Invite people up that ladder of leadership, right? Marquette was famous and all of his stuff for talking about a ladder of leadership. And it's basically just helping bring people up the ladder in thinking, in involvement, in trying to find that solution. Push authority to information, not information to authority. Simple, giving people more authority, we create more leaders. Challenge. The next time you're supposed to lead a meeting, don't go. And I know you all are like, oh, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Delegate it to your team. Tell them what you, uh, or what happened afterward. Have them tell you. Sometimes I've, I've done this, not so much intentionally not going to the meeting, but just something came up, couldn't go. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, one, they don't necessarily need me there. Like everything went fine. So I would challenge you to do this if you've never done it. Uh, intentionally or unintentional. Um, some of these and we'll kind of breeze through a little bit quicker, but if you ever want more information on some of these, let me know, because uh, I want to make sure we get to the end and get some of these uh, good points in. So act your way to new thinking. To change employees' behaviors, and that's really what we're talking about with this, right? How do we change people's behaviors and the way they do things and empowering them? You can try to change their behavior and hope it leads, or excuse me, try to change their thinking and hope it leads to new behavior, 
or you can change the behavior and allow it to, to lead to new thinking, right? I would go with the second one. On the Santa Fe, there's an example. They implemented a thing called the three name rule. And the whole idea of it, they wanted people to take pride in the ship, right? I mean, you're taking a ship that it's at its worst. We got to get people to take pride in it. We got to get this thing up where it needs to be. And so they did this three name rule. And it was basically if someone were visiting the ship, didn't matter who you were, you could be the lowest ranking seaman on that ship and you would give the three names. You would introduce yourself. You would, you would refer to that person by their name as well. And then you would give the name of the ship. Have you ever gone to an active duty Air Force base and the defender at the gate welcomes you to the base and they name the base and maybe even the motto or the mascot of the base? Have you all seen that? Same premise, same exact thing. All right, so challenge. Next time you talk to your boss about a problem, bring a solution. Doesn't have to be the correct one. Encourage subordinates to do the same. One problem, one solution. All right, so short, early conversations make efficient work. Colonel was talking about this one. I'm telling you, sir, you couldn't have teed all this stuff any better. <laughs> A supervisor's conversations with their people do not have to consist of telling them what to do. To the Colonel's point, I would also make it frequent, you know, become more and more frequent conversations, short conversations. But it's kind of those touch points. And really, all you should do, don't offer solutions, because it's hard to do, right? Like, we're that officer, we want to provide solutions. It's kind of like what we do, we want to. Don't, resist that temptation. Reinforce intent, that's all you need to do. Keep that ownership, keep the, the, the responsibility for the solution with them. One note I saw, I was reading, so I said 30 seconds can save hours of wasted time. And that's absolutely right. To, to kind of help illustrate this, I'll give you a couple of things. Security forces world, we would much rather a designated marksman or a sniper take a shot four or 500 yards out, four or, five, four or 500 meters out at an enemy target versus do you want to wait till that enemy target is all the way up front and so now you're just like, hey, machine gunner, spray and pray and let's hope they don't get through the line, right? You'd much rather take that shot and be proactive about it. So have those short conversations early and frequent. In the Navy, you know, they use the term, would you rather use a little rudder now, you know, far away from the rocks, or do you want to use a whole lot of rudder, you know, right up close to the rocks? Good uh, image here of a, a ship obviously making a very drastic turn. Can you imagine the damage inside the ship making a turn like that? Yeah, you don't want that. All right, so challenge. Walk around your workplace and ask a team member how a specific project is going. Unless they ask for help, thank them for the update and resist the urge to provide additional instruction. You can reinforce intent. That's perfectly okay. All right. This is something that Captain Marquette said they, you know, this was one of the keys to their success. They started the whole I intend to to turn passive followers into active leaders. Captain Cox, we'll pick on you here for a second. As a pilot, if you're getting ready to do something, you kind of want the co-pilot or other people to know what you're doing, right? So we, we use things, we'll say things. I intend to, I'm you know, doing this. Uh, when I was in Afghanistan, we're running convoys. You know, if we're the lead truck, we don't just suddenly take a crazy right turn. No one knows we're gonna take, right? It's I intend to, um, 
200 you know, meters, we're gonna hit a roundabout, we're gonna go in at the six, we're gonna go out at the 12. That way everybody knows what's going on, but the important part is it also helps avoid mistakes. You're giving the empowerment to people, but you can hopefully avoid mistakes this way because it gives you the chance for your brain to actively engage in what you're doing. Some disempowered phrases, I'll give you some examples here. We've always done it that way, right? As this is one of my pet peeves, I hate that saying. And when I first went into command security forces, I told the staff that, that was probably like the first meeting. I hate that, that saying, because they used to say it all the time. I was told, they told me, what would you like me to do? What should I do about, do you think we should, right? So now flip it, what are phrases that empowered active leaders would say? I intend to. I would like to, I plan to, I will. Let me give you an update and here's what we are thinking about this, right? Makes sense. Sounds easy, but you've got to be intentional about this stuff. Words matter. So challenge. Next time one of your employees brings you a decision issue, think about where they are on a leadership ladder and invite them to level up and see how they would handle it. I've had some commanders and leaders that have given me this opportunity at the time. I didn't realize what they were doing. I look back and I'm like, oh, that was, that was pretty slick. <laughs> like I get what they were doing, but it was great for me. Great learning opportunity and great empowerment. All right, so resist the urge to provide solutions. You know, emergencies, if you're a fire department, there are things that they're critical, right? You've got to make a decision right now. The vast majority of what we do are not. Things are not that critical. So avoid the temptation. Sometimes if you're the first to offer a solution, it will become the solution, right? So Colonel, you know, kind of alluded to this. If you're sitting around that table, and we've all seen this, somebody will bring up a problem directly to the boss in the meeting. There was no conversation about it. If you bring it up to them, a lot of times there are a lot of commanders and bosses on this base that will immediately grab it, give you a solution, and now that is the solution everybody go do, right? It's not good. And and it's not the way we should operate. So avoid that temptation. It's especially true as a senior leader once you get to certain ranks, especially general officers. I actually would make a specific intentional decision when I was the director of staff for AIR to keep our GOs out of certain meetings. They wanted to be there, trust me, they did. They would say things like, well, it's just me. You know, it's just me, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy, I'm a good gal, it's just me. Yeah, but conversation is stifled, free thinking is stifled, and they, whatever comes out of that GO or that senior leader's mouth becomes gospel, and now they're gonna move out to meet whatever that, that direction or that decision is. So you're absolutely right. I think the, the thing to remember with that is, the person who's closest to the work probably has the best solution. You've just got to bring it out of them, right? So always keep that in mind. Closest to the problem usually has the best solution. Challenge, if you aren't being pressured by your boss, return a problem unsolved the next time a subordinate brings you one. I know sometimes this is, you know, goes against our nature too because we want to get things done, right? We want to move along. Take a pause. Return it. All right, eliminate top-down monitoring systems. This one's gonna make you guys uncomfortable. I can, I can already tell, because there are times for me, I struggled with this too, and I'll, I'll tell you. 
So supervisors frequently bemoan the lack of ownership, right? You hear that a lot, like person's not just, they're just not taking ownership in this. They fail to realize that taking actions daily that your action is doing this, you're poaching on their ownership by trying to track, you know, remember the whole thing of like what they owe me and what they should be doing. That's what we're talking about. So top-down monitoring systems are good at destroying a sense of ownership. Does your unit have any top-down monitoring systems like these? And keep in mind, we're not talking about data collection or measuring processes, right? Those have their own thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about mechanisms used by senior personnel to determine what junior personnel should be doing and hold them accountable, right? They're getting paid to do a job. Why should you spend your time and effort tracking what they should be doing? That's, that's not what you're getting paid to do, right? I mean, this is an uncomfortable one. Again, it's hard to let go. Sometimes it's hard to let that control go because you want to make sure things are getting done. So really what it comes down to, department heads should, should own and manage what they're working on. In maintenance, if avionics has a list of stuff they have to get done, the head of the supervisor in avionics should be the one tracking that. Should a squadron commander and for maintenance squadron be tracking it? Should I be tracking it at the group level? Absolutely not. So here's the uncomfortable part. You guys are gonna like this one. Oh, sorry, flip my notes here. Throw away the list you are keeping that tracks what one of your subordinates should be doing. It's hard to let go on this one, isn't it? Let them know you tossed it, but also let them know that they are totally responsible for figuring out what their job is and then doing it. Do you have people like this? Does anybody have somebody like this where you, I mean, you feel like you've got to keep that control on, keep that hand on them? Try this, it's uncomfortable and they may make mistakes and that's okay. All right, think out loud. Simply put, teaching people to think out loud helps avoid silent assumptions, adds transparency, and builds trust, right? Challenge here, at a meeting, practice thinking out loud by telling your team your hidden assumption, fears, and worries about the project. Be vulnerable, but the key is you're setting the example. Try this. All right, take deliberate action. We engage our minds, we perform with better results, but again, you know, we talk about the whole intend to, you're taking deliberate action. You know, they run that convoy, hey, I intend to, you know, go into this roundabout. We're gonna come out on the six o'clock. You know, you've gotta be, but take deliberate action. This was a big thing on the Santa Fe that Captain Marquette talks about in his book. Very interesting. We learn everywhere all the time. And I'm gonna give you a challenge here. Next time you have an onerous, tedious task, ask yourself what you can learn from doing it. As a boss, the next time an employee comes to you to report a problem, ask them what did they learn. Sounds pretty fundamental, but try it. Try it one time. Don't brief certify. So we see this all the time in the military in the nature of what we do. We brief, right? So what do I mean by certify? So I'll give you an example. Captain Man, tell you recently, Aircraft 17, right? Aircraft 17 had a hard landing, almost a year and a half that this aircraft sat on the ground. Well, when an aircraft sits, I mean, can you imagine not driving your car for a year and a half? <laughs> There's gonna be some problems when you go to start it up. Now take a, an aircraft with a lot of advanced parts, 
you know, pieces, a lot of machinery, a lot of electronic systems, have it sit for a year. In order to get it back up, we have it at the kind of towards the end. I mean, all the maintenance happens, but at the end, I watched a process that nails this. And what it does, it puts ownership back on the group to figure out the solutions and and to present the plan, right, for certification. You're not just briefing to get an answer. What you're doing is, you know, for for Aircraft 17, the example was, we sat in this room, every function and maintenance was in there. I just sat as a fly on the wall, unbelievably impressed. And when I read this, I'm like, holy smokes, that's exactly what we were doing. Every function in there, Jeff, am I wrong? Every function in there went around and said, okay, here's the plan of what we plan to do to get this ready for the, you know, to get for the aircraft to get certified to be airworthy again. Here's what we plan to do in our section. Here's what we plan to do. Is the timeline working, right? They talk about it. And then at the very end, it comes to Colonel Cox. He asks a question or two, but he basically says, go do, great plan. And then that was essentially what it was. It, like I said, it didn't register any of the time what we were doing, but that's what this was. All right, uh, continue and consistently repeat the message. This is a, a frustration you will always have in command or any leadership position. You feel like, man, I'm, I'm communicating, I'm pushing this stuff out, I'm sending it you know, written, I'm, I'm talking about it, but then like, people still don't hear something or don't get something. And, and if you're going to be empowering others and switching to intent-based leadership, You've got to start from the bottom and you have got to continually, continually make an effort to do this stuff. Push the message. I'm sure Colonel in the back will tell you, there's probably lots of times you all get frustrated at the wing level about this. I mean, and to your all's credit, they do a phenomenal job of pushing information out. You know, if you talk about like podcasts for this, the drop podcast, talking about, you know, priorities going into drill. Yeah, you know, I listen to those coming in every drill. You know, Jeff, they, I, I bring this up and making it all the time. I beat into them like, come on, guys, listen to this stuff as you come in. If you think, you know, I hear people get frustrated. Uh, you know, I never really know. I never hear from leadership directly. I don't know what they're thinking. They're putting it out there, but you've got to make the effort to go grab it and pull it. It's there. So again, I think that the key here, keep communicating no matter how frustrated you get keep communicating it be clear about it and be positive about it take care of your people and build trust i'm not going to dig too far into that one that one's pretty straightforward going to give you a challenge here though spotlight one of your employees internally but up the chain tell your boss about this person look for examples where they took initiative and responsibility they provided solutions well probably Missed that one. <laughs> All right, so problems. Uh, and align their activities to organization's values. Praise behaviors, but not personal characteristics. That's a key there. All right, use your legacy for clarity. And really what this is getting down to, look at your organization, look at the history of it. There may be things that your organization started out an effort of, we're gonna take this initiative, we're gonna do this and we're doing it because this crisis drove it, whatever happened, but somewhere along the lines, people changed out, things changed, you kind of lost sight of why you were doing it, right? And you can kind of stray from it. So figure out the history of it. Good example, USS Santa Fe. They literally changed their terminology for when they tracked, when they fired and tracked a torpedo, they changed the terminology back to World War II terminology. So literally, it, because it was much more clear and, and concise and they could match it to, I mean, 
things really haven't changed that much, right? I mean, a torpedo, a little bit more technology, but it's still essentially the same. But they said they had great results from that. But again, look for those things and bring that forward to tell that story of not just telling the story of the organization, but to keep that organization on track of where you want things to go. The DFAC, all the historic stuff in there, you know, great effort there, same type of thing, right? You're trying to in instill the organization's values by showing the history. I'm gonna move on a little bit. Using guiding principles for decision criteria, immediately reward desired behaviors, right? Here's one where we often, you know, we, we talk about like quarterly awards, you know, Airman of the Year, things like that. Don't wait for that kind of stuff. Use it, incredibly valuable, right? I mean, it's a great thing to do, but don't wait for it. If somebody does something great, you just praising the person in public, I mean, right away, will probably do more than them getting airmen of the quarter two months from now will ever do. So think about that. Challenge, next time someone does something that is reward worthy, recognize them publicly right away. This is an easy one. Everybody should be able to do this. Begin with the end in mind. Right, you guys are going to see this, and this this one should hit home for the military, right? Joint planning process. We always start with the ends, and then we figure out how we need to get there. Everybody, anyone heard of Stephen Covey? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This comes directly from that. And again, it's just where we need to be. We're going to plan against it. Security forces. If we were developing a mission and an op board of how we're going to make it happen, uh, we would always in, in start with what's the desired end state. What do we need to do? What needs to happen? You know, on a, a micro level. I mean, I do this when I take a flight somewhere. If I'm flying somewhere, I look at the time I need to get on that plane, and then I start backwards planning. Okay, well then I need to be at the seat in the waiting area by this time, and that's kind of and I go all the way through. That's that's a good example of it. All right, encourage a questioning attitude over blind obedience. This one is sometimes difficult for us and goes against our nature in the military, doesn't it? Challenge here, if this isn't part of your unit's culture and practice, intentionally plant a dissenter in meetings and have them, and then you respond acceptingly to the person and soon behavior will be changed. You're just setting an example for it, right? You're not fooling anybody, you're just setting an example. Uh, but make it honest. I mean, make it about what's really going on, but have that person intentionally push back and, and offer a different opinion. And again, you know, the hope here is mistakes will be avoided uh, or at least reduced. Final mechanism. And you're like, wait a minute. We've been talking about empowerment the whole time, and now you're throwing this emancipate word in. So the final goal is you don't want to just empower. You want to emancipate people. So let me ask a question. What do you think that means? Yep, essentially. You want to get your organization, the ultimate goal is you get them to a level where they are actively engaged, everyone in the organization, in thinking, providing solutions, they're working the problems to where if you're not there, it doesn't matter. And that's hard. That's hard for officers and senior NCOs with egos. You're like, well, but wait, I need to be needed there. And you don't, right? I mean, kind of back to the points we were making in the very beginning, hopefully, I mean, I'd say it, but you won't even see the real fruits of your labor and, and the successes until after you're gone and you'll never actually benefit from it if you're doing things the right way, if you're looking long-term. But you want to emancipate people to where they can think on their own, act on their own, as long as you're providing that intent, right? 
they run the organization. I can tell you, me going into maintenance, I fully plan to empower and hopefully, maybe before I'm done, fully emancipate the flight commander and the squadron commanders and, and all the other leaders in the organization because I realized you know, that they're not hiring me. They're not bringing me in to be the maintainer. So I'm not the one that should be you know, figuring out the solutions to their problems. They should, right? So you hold me to that. <laughs> all right, so challenge. What is on your plate this week? Take one thing and delegate it, even if you fully plan to do it yourself. Anybody seen this, heard this before, right? Accelerate, change, or lose. So one of the big things that General Brown talked about with this, and one of the intents with this, is to empower airmen. Have you all seen this before? So again, all this stuff applies, and this, these are initiatives that they are taking at the highest levels, and I can promise you with him you know, being the chairman of the Joint Chiefs now, this is not going away. They want people empowered, especially in the Air Force, because if we don't empower, we don't change things, we don't innovate, we're going to lose. Mission command, that's empowerment, right? We all hear mission command lately. It's kind of one of the, the new buzzwords. Not a new concept. I would say it's a renewed concept. I would say that, maybe a renewed emphasis on it. But centralized command, decentralized execution. It's empowerment, really, when you get down to it, isn't it? And emancipation. All right, so David Marquette put this uh, out there. The alternative to empowerment is to centralize, and the centralization is the enemy of adaptability. I think that kind of ties it in pretty well. So let me ask you this question, and, and I'm looking for answers here. Do you all think a lack of empowerment is a major weakness of our enemies? Yeah. What about with these guys? It's a huge problem for them. You look at Russia and Ukraine, they have absolutely struggled with this because they do not empower, they don't have an NCO core that is empowered to do things. They wait, wait for top-down direction on everything, and it has kicked their butts in Ukraine, for lack of better terms. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right, Dan. So do they develop and empower CGOs, NCOs, and senior NCOs the way we do? China or Russia, either one? No, they do not. They absolutely do not. So the, the next question I've got, think about this. Could it make the difference in a peer near peer conflict if we have to go to war with them? I can make a pretty solid argument this is probably what would put us at the top. All right, so just a few closing points here. If you want to grow, you have to get uncomfortable. You know, if you looked at all the different things that I've done and kind of talked about there earlier, the one thing that was common in all those, it took me out of my comfort zone in every single one of them. Some I took myself out, some others took me out of it. But it's worth it. You have to get uncomfortable to grow. So do other people. Leadership is not about power control, it's about empowering others. A lot of people that should be reminded of that, right? <laughs> Leadership is facing outward, not inward. We all know those commanders, those officers that like to say, my people, my unit, my first sergeant. Really? Are they your people, it's your unit? You're not facing the direction you need to face. You're facing inward, you need to face outward. It's about other people. 
Empowerment starts here, starts with you. But you all, again, you've got to be deliberate about it. All right, so back to my free lunch opportunity. <clears throat> be honest, anyone here, is there, is there anyone, it all it takes one person in the room to say, I didn't really learn anything today, and I'll buy lunch for everybody. Honestly, no? All right, I had an ace up my sleeve on this one, and I'm gonna share it. So remember back to Tinian, right? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> we talked about <clears throat> the USS Cleveland and the captain disobeying direct orders and doing that. The result, USS Norman Scott, the destroyer, got hit, severely disabled the ship. You can see where it was hit in all the different places. The bridge alone where the captain was took three direct hits from, from six-inch Japanese shore batteries. Yeah, no one surviving that. Completely disabled the ship, and you can see a little bit of the damage, but here was my ace up the sleeve. My grandfather was on that ship. All right, guys, unless you have anything, that's all I have. Carl. Ryan, thank you very much for presenting that in such a professional way. One thing I'll, I'll highlight, and that is when he talked about think beyond the tenure of your own time in that organization, that's why we're doing this. You guys are gonna be here well beyond my tenure in this organization. There are future squadron commanders, future group commanders, a future vice wing commander, a, perhaps a future wing commander, and perhaps future general officers in this room right now. I like to say all the time that we are but stewards of the rank that we hold and the position that we have. Once we all retire and lead this organization, we have the same title, veteran. So my job is to do my best and to help prepare others that are coming up behind me. Hence, I must think beyond my own tenure in this organization, and that is the very core reason why we're here doing this right now. Because fundamentally, people didn't do it for us to help prepare us for that next step, and I wanna help prepare you, because you deserve it. Uh, you all have the potential and the skill to do great things in this organization, but most importantly, the people that you will lead deserve it. So uh, thank you very much again for your attention here today. Um, you know, we're, you know, I'll give you five minutes of time back. I'm gonna stick around here just a little bit. Ryan's gonna stick around here just a little bit if any of you have any questions or anything for us, but thank you all. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the 130th Airlift Wing, you can find us online at www.130aw.ang.af.mil. If you have questions about this program or the 130th, you can contact us by email at 130.aw.public.affairs at us.af.mil.